1: Hello, I'm Dr Peter Doran. Welcome to LawPod. In this episode, I'll be talking to Elsa Cook, an expert in outcomes-based approaches to policy delivery. Outcomes are intended to give us a clearer picture of the impact that government actions have on all our lives. In 2016, the Northern Ireland Executive published a draft programme for government. The framework, for the first time, Is an outcomes based approach to delivery with 14 outcomes supported by 48 indicators. The OECD has defined outcomes as the impacts on social, economic and other policy areas, and these are often supported by indicators. Outcomes and investments in realising outcomes can come from government alone or in collaboration with partner organisations. The approach adopted in Northern Ireland is the Outcomes-Based Accountability System, sometimes known as Results-Based Accountability, promoted by Clear Impact, a company based in Maryland in the United States. The system is owned and was created by Mark Friedman. Their local consultants are the National Children's Bureau, based in Belfast. The adoption of an outcomes-based approach in Northern Ireland is part of an international trend in governance focused on measurement. It's sometimes known as the audit culture. The new outcomes-based accountability approach, with 48 civil servants now charged with overseeing indicators to help track progress across a range of population-level outcomes on health, Infrastructure, the economy and other areas of policy that should contribute to our well-being will have a far-reaching impact on how government relates to and influences decision-making by a multitude of civil society organisations dependent on departmental support. Outcomes-based approaches to policy delivery is a highly contested art. Research has pointed to the unintended consequences of implementing outcomes-based approaches notably gaming, so outcomes, for example, should not be linked to financial reward or funding. Dr Ailsa Cook is a leader in the field of outcomes, notably in Scotland, where she has made a significant contribution to shifting the focus of public services towards outcomes that are important to citizens and communities. Scotland's approach to outcomes, where the freedmen approach has not been adopted wholesale, contrary to popular perception, has been one of trial and error, and is linked to Scotland's evolving and innovative experiment with the new democratic settlement since devolution. At a recent seminar convened by Community Evaluation Northern Ireland, I sat down with Ailsa and asked her about the lessons we might draw from the very different experience of outcomes in Scotland. Let's begin with a, a, an introduction. If you just tell me a little bit about yourself. And uh, what are you doing now?
0: Okay, so uh, I'm Ailsa Cook. I have been working with Outcomes for the past 14 years as an academic, um, as part of a Scottish Government funded improvement programme, then doing further academic work and now as a consultant um, with a company, Outcome Focus, that I set up with a other um, colleague to support organisations to make better use of their data and information to improve outcomes.
1: You wrote a a very interesting paper in your last role. uh, You were with the What Works Scotland uh, Centre. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that paper and uh, some of the key findings.
0: Okay, sure. So it was a real pleasure, well, it was actually quite painful and a pleasure to write that paper because having spent at that point 13 years working with outcomes, actually still feeling that there was so much that was quite kind of contested and tensions and really hard to just get my... Uh, hands around, it was really, really good to spend three months sitting down with the international literature and also a lot of international policy to really review, well, what is the evidence for an outcomes-based approach, Um, and and how does that play out in the Scottish context that uh, we're working in, and I guess um, one of the things that I was really struck by when I wrote that paper was that actually in Scotland we do have this very particular context that is all about complexity, so... Our um, programme of government, the the Scottish approach to public service reform, um, is absolutely based on co-production, partnership working, participation of people. So there are all of these really lovely ways of working that are springing up, that are about getting people learning difficulties into care homes to support older people. But really the kind of question is is like, well, how does an outcomes-based approach really recognize and celebrate that work that is done to further outcomes? And so um, it was really helpful to sort of go through very systematically and unpack the literature. And I guess the main things that we found um, was one about actually how internationally uh, unclear outcomes-based working was. So whilst there's this long history of outcomes-based working from the 1950s and 60s in North America, Actually, the way we talk about outcomes is informed by both the whole pub, um, the uh, research and evaluation land, but it's also involved by kind of the sort of Deming and total quality management land, as well as more recent work around performance management. And actually, you could see how those three different origins of the concept of outcomes were being really conflated and and kind of mixed up, I guess, um, at at policy level and practice level internationally. So, um, And I was very struck doing that review. Actually, the evidence was quite overwhelming that... You know, whilst outcomes are being used everywhere, there's nowhere in the world that's really made particularly good progress in focusing on outcomes. Um, But actually one of the things that the review highlighted is that Scotland is actually quite ahead of the game. And I think that's because we have active programs of work happening at three levels. So there's been um, a, a very profound focus on personal outcomes and how you can orientate services to improve outcomes for people. Um, as well as thinking about how we might better evaluate programs of work as to what the difference they make to outcomes, as well as taking a population-level approach to articulating what the outcomes are that are important to the population and how programs of work might contribute to that. Um, So I I guess that that was really uh, struck by what a big muddle... (laughs) the the world of outcomes thinking was internationally, and so it was really nice in the paper to be able to kind of, I guess, smooth out, comb out some of these difficulties and differences. So, like, one of the things that, um, you know, becomes really clear is that actually people are using outcomes-based approaches for a range of different reasons. They're using it to signal what's important and to improve, but they're also using it to judge performance. Um, And, of course, the literature is very, very clear that as soon as you start using outcomes to judge performance, actually you can lead to all sorts of unintended consequences particularly as the international finding from the literature is that outcomes are incredibly hard to measure and obviously impossible to attribute in complex systems?
1: I think we should right away make a a distinction possibly between the Scottish approach which is an outcomes-based approach, it's a generic approach which has evolved as part of the uh, the mature the maturation of the policy system and the relationship between governance, uh, government and the uh, uh, the delivery agents, and the outcomes based accountability approach which has been adopted uh, in Northern Ireland. Can you just speak to that distinction? Um, not to dismiss one or the other, but just to uh, draw the distinction and to underline uh, the fact that I suppose Scotland has chosen to take a more generic approach and to avoid, potentially, some of the pitfalls around the accountability element of the OBA approach, which has been adopted in, in Northern Ireland. Yeah.
0: OK, of course, um, so people who are following the academic literature will recognise the difference between results-based management, which is the OBA approach in uh, North, sorry, results-based accountability, which is Northern Irish approach, and results-based management, which is an approach to focusing on outcomes that isn't about being accountable to outcomes, but thinking about how you might manage your system to maximise outcomes that's informed by Canadian work, particularly by John Maine. And in Scotland, I think, because there was always that very keen focus on inequalities and complexities and the need to work in partnership, Uh, to contribute to improving things for people, the the kind of rhetoric around outcomes from the very beginning has been about contribution. So if you look at the very first um, documents in 2007 about the single outcome-based agreements, they're very clear that this is about understanding how public service organisations contribute to improving outcomes um, for people. Um, so I guess that's that's a key distinction, is that this concept of contribution is very much at the heart of the Scottish approach. And having said that, actually, it's not a Scottish approach, it's multiple Scottish approaches. And um, I think one of the richness, one of the things that dis- that's distinct about the outcomes-based working in Scotland is that actually it has come from multiple places and has evolved in multiple ways. So... Um, there has been the work that's been done by the Scottish Government that's particularly focused on national and local government, about how uh, local government can be orientated towards delivering high-level outcomes for the population. So how can they really encourage community planning partnerships to think in a holistic way about their multiple contributions to reducing health inequalities? So that's one way of working. Another way of working is about thinking about personal outcomes. So how can we... Um, when we if people come into maybe health or social care services instead of think about well, what's wrong, what service do I direct you to, think about well what's going on in your life, where do you want to get to, what's important to you, how can we support that? So that focus on personal outcomes has been really important in driving a kind of wider thinking about how we might draw on supports that aren't all services and uh, maximize people's ability to work themselves to improve their lives. And then, separately, again, there's been lots of work around contribution analysis, particularly led by Health Scotland, about how we can understand how these big, complex programmes of work um, through a theory-based approach lead to improved outcomes for people. And I think what you've got at the moment is that the findings are, from all of those programmes, that this work is really tough. It's not easy. You can't just say, we're going to do contribution analysis, we're going to do personal outcomes. You know, it doesn't work that way. It's a long and hard journey that raises as many questions as it answers. And so, I think we're at a point where, increasingly, these three areas of work are all informing each other more and more. To, as you say, to produce a more generic outcomes approach.
1: It, it strikes me that the adoption of the outcomes approach and the uh, uh, the understanding is the outworking of a, a maturing. Uh, Devolved democracy It's part of the the backstory, if you like, is the embedding of democ- good democratic practice, and also the cultivation of strong actors, policy actors who can who can confidently contest and uh, contribute to um, critiques around methodology, and who are confident enough to operate in a, in a much more pluralist system when it comes to policy approaches.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I guess uh, that's something that you don't really realise, how much we've got it until you go elsewhere. And actually something that happens quite often is when people come from other places to support or get involved in work in Scotland, people often comment on the level and sophistication of the dialogue. Uh, You know, you might be in a room like just like, like the one we were in earlier. And generally the standard of thinking is very high in terms of people being very aware about complexity, very aware of the different trade-offs that are happening, Um, and I guess uh, we're very fortunate that we've had um, kind of strong improvement agencies, and there's been a very strong history of networks and networking in Scotland, and so I think it's definitely a context where um, all sorts of actors within public and third sectors, and and citizens as well, have quite a lot of space to get involved in, in policy debates, and... Um, There's lots of really good examples of, actually, policy makers. You know, I think the First Minister, actually, this is one of the things everyone says about her, is that she really does listen to people. She engages with people, and I think that sets a tone to the way that we talk about policy in Scotland, alongside having kind of really helpful institutions like What Works Scotland and Audit Scotland and the scrutiny bodies are all involved in improvement work, uh, the Improvement Service. So we've got a whole raft of bodies whose job it is to facilitate discussion and interrogation of the work that we're doing.
1: So I have to ask you, in terms of your familiarity now with the international literature, um, what are the the pitfalls? What would you be looking out for um, if you were briefing, say, civil servants or community and voluntary sector actors? What would you be looking out for in terms of the uh, implementation of this very specific approach, the outcomes-based accountability approach?
0: Okay, well... So, obviously, as people involved in this will probably know, the literature about outcomes-based accountability is very mixed and contested, and that uh, there are definitely... There is some, um, uh, there's evidence that, actually, it can go quite badly wrong in terms of not driving an improvement in outcomes, but actually in people working to the measures. And I suppose that builds on a long-standing finding in the performance management literature. So, um, it's clear from performance the performance management literature as a whole... That um, ill conceived reductionist approaches to performance management drive gaming. And that is definitely, the evidence definitely stacks up for um, outcomes based performance management approaches as well. So, the first thing I would be saying is that actually you are delivering this OBA approach in a complex system, that you need to recognize this. So, you cannot hold individual programs accountable for outcomes and whilst it might be very helpful to clarify outcomes and to think about measures uh, these are uh, these will are always imperfect and will always appropriately be changing so I suppose that's the first thing that I would say the second thing is that actually the point of an outcomes-based approach is to improve outcomes for people and one of the most obvious traps to fall into and it's definitely happened in Scotland is that you spend your life searching for the perfect measure which never exists and actually that it takes time away from actually doing the work that you're meant to be doing which is working across services with communities to improve outcomes for people.
1: uh, There's a great uh, emphasis on the indicator sets in Northern Ireland in fact uh, civil servants have been appointed to take ownership of these indicators and in some ways uh, the queue now for organisations who are delivering services is coming from uh, those who are responsible for uh, those specific um, measures. How important uh, is an indicator in all of this and are there risks around uh, an overemphasis on uh, a series of indicators?
0: Yeah, so um, I think that, well, so the thing about outcomes is that you don't deliver outcomes, and actually anything that is meaningful is not actually measurable. So indicators are often quite a poor measure of what it is that you're doing. Um, I think within a Scottish approach, we have vacillated between trying to find a great set of indicators and then realizing actually they don't exist and that we're spending our life chasing things that, that can't happen. And actually, people have just, I'm not saying that they've ignored them. People do. We do have a national outcomes, we do have indicators. However, they're the part that actually hasn't received particularly great attention and they don't receive great attention. So, organizations report to them and find them helpful as ways to understand what's going on in the population. But, but nobody actually thinks that rates of breastfeeding or rates of depopulation are actually related to specific programs of work. So they're helpful bits of information in the system, as opposed to things that actually are measures of, of what you're doing. Um, and actually, in Scotland, there's um, we could definitely do this better, but you know, there's an increasing move to be using much more case studies and stories that really show how programmes of activity might have contributed to changing things that might be captured at an indicator level rather than trying to link it up numerically.
1: One of the, the, the background factors that uh, no doubt frames people's attitude to the introduction of OPA, OBA is the uh, the funding crisis, actually, in the community and voluntary sector. Uh, Lots of organizations are looking at uh, further cuts. Um, So they feel that they have very little choice but to obviously comply with the OBA framework. Um, Are there risks, especially around uh, uh, gaming, the manipulation of data, whenever there's a perception, even if it's unstated, that uh, the delivery of uh, 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 OBA outcomes is linked to the funding of the organisation?
0: Or there is massive potential for gaming. So, And I think that there is two bits of this. Firstly, the international literature says it is not appropriate to use outcomes-based measurement for financial and and link it to finance. That's absolutely unequivocal in in the literature. The other thing is there's lots of experiences in Scotland as to how... Focusing on measurement first and particularly where people think they might be judged in some way, with or without financial penalties, really shapes people's behaviour. So, I mean, I was part of a discussion recently with a team of people and we'd, um, they, these were all practitioners delivering a wellbeing service and we'd gone through all the data they collected currently and everything was fine and then we hit this, this piece of information which was how long people had to wait to access their service. And we had a 45-minute discussion about how long people had to wait to access their service and how they measured it. Not because it was important to that service, and not because it was important to their logic, but because they were all terrified as practitioners that they were going to be judged about waiting times, which actually were out of their control. And I think uh, as soon as you have a as soon as you have a measure that doesn't relate meaningfully to what people do, it does drive behaviours. People, you know, as you say, in a in a context where funding is always at risk and that's definitely the same in scotland as well as england people are very nervous and there's a lot of i guess internalized oppression and you know people don't even have to be told that they have to hit these targets in order to get their jobs people are very vigilant to that possibility Um, And definitely it was a finding from the very early days of implementing personal outcomes work in Scotland is that, you know, you might say to practitioners, have a really great conversation with someone, but then as soon as you gave them a form with a bunch of boxes to tick about how supported does somebody feel and do they feel respected, you know, they just focus on getting the boxes ticked in a way that um, fits with the story that they are keen to tell about the service.
1: Uh, I mean, a, a difficult funding environment also can cut across the need to work objectively around contributions, multiple contributions and collaboration and co-design. Um, at the very moment when organisations are being asked to, uh, to work in a very nuanced way and to work transparently around the, the limits of their contribution and to acknowledge the contributions of others, a funding environment that's quite harsh at the moment can cut across that uh, challenge, uh, I presume.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's something that people in the third sector in Scotland have been talking about for a long time. How can they have authentic partnership in a context where there is competition for resources? And I think, and outcomes. Focusing on outcomes provides both an opportunity and a kind of and a threat for that. And I guess the opportunity is that actually, if you deliver your fuel poverty service in a really, really good way, you're not just going to reduce. Uh, Increase people's income and reduce levels of humidity or, or whatever in their house. You're also going to improve their health and well-being, and actually focusing on outcomes actually enables you to capture that difference that you're making for people because you're not just looking. You're looking for what difference you've made to them, and not just, you know, how much have you increased their income by. Um, so, so that's the opportunity, I suppose, for people to see multiple contributions in the, in the context of an outcomes-based approach, but. Uh, yeah, absolutely, I agree that if you don't set that up rightly, if you don't set that up recognising that we can only contribute to these things and as an organisation or a service you can do the best job possible and still not get the results, then you're absolutely right. I think it could um, yeah, drive gaming and also lead to people being very entrenched in what they do.
1: It's interesting, you, you, you've mentioned uh, wellbeing, which was the departure point for the conversation that led to the adoption of uh, OBA and uh, some reforms within the system. The assumption within the civil service now is that a more systems-based um, understanding that uh, you can contribute to outcomes from different parts of the system, whether it's, uh, let's say, health uh transport, infrastructure, unlikely parts of the system can contribute to uh, healthy outcomes. But there's an expectation that OBA itself, that the adoption of the methodology will prompt that kind of uh, shift in the way which we understand policy, the shift to a systems-based, more complex uh, appreciation of the relationship between uh, interventions and outcomes. Would you be confident that OBA in itself can prompt that kind of learning within the system, whether it's in the public sector or among the the service delivery agents within the community voluntary sector?
0: I'd have to say the kind of key thing about any public service initiative, it's not what you do, it's the way that you do it. That's important. So the evidence about outcomes-based approaches internationally is it's not the measurement that doesn't... There is no evidence that measuring outcomes makes any difference at all. There is evidence that talking and thinking and planning for outcomes makes a difference. So, no, I wouldn't suspect that any kind of outcomes-based approach, if it is primarily focused on measurement, will make a difference. Our experience in Scotland is that actually there has there has been a very lasting outcomes approach and that is because the rhetoric of outcomes gives people permission to think differently and to act differently and to create partnerships and to, I suppose, just recognize that concepts like children feeling nurtured is the right thing to do, which then drives good practice. There is nothing about measurement that helps that. So I think if you've got a well-matured system where you really are working towards outcomes, then it can be very helpful to start capturing multiple forms of data and evidence to understand, well, how well are you doing that? How is that going? How can we do it better? But the kind of mantra that we have in our work is that you have to improve before you can prove. And it, you, you can't... You, so measuring outcomes will not do anything by itself. You, it has to, And it can be harmful in terms of the gaming. It's all about focusing on outcomes, thinking about how you need to reorientate your systems and process to improve outcomes for people... You know, to listen, to learn and respond, and then you can think about measurement.
1: Can I just finish now? You have a particular interest in inequalities, uh, m- measuring and addressing inequalities. Um, I think it was is it Harry Barnes, one of the advisors to uh, uh, the First Minister, talks about the, the very significant contribution that addressing inequalities makes to societal well-being. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's close to your own heart in terms of uh, addressing uh, a fundamental deficit, you know, the question around distribution and how that really largely determines uh, people's lives uh, and their outcomes, personal outcomes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose what, um, what the work that Outcome Focus has come to do, so we have a kind of slightly more sophisticated approach of understanding outcomes that's really well uh, tailored towards those services providers organizations that are doing the most complex and nuanced work with people who are experiencing the most difficulties who have to who can't expect just to get a a difference there and then because actually there are so many layers of things going on in people's lives so uh yeah i do feel very passionately about addressing health inequalities and i feel very fortunate to work with lots of really brilliant organizations who are doing a fabulous job about that, and, and it is very heartening to see how particularly a focus on personal outcomes, what's important to people, can really help people move on um, in difficult circumstances and, uh, I suppose, think co- creatively and flexibly about how to move forward when when, when they're in a difficult situation.
1: Yeah, so, Thank you very much indeed.
0: You have been listening to LawPod, an informed take on current events brought to you by the law students and staff at Queen's University, Belfast. This episode was produced by Peter Dorn and Richard Somerville. Our theme music is by Colonel Chocolate and the Justice Triangle. LawPod is funded by Queen's Law School and the Queen's Annual Fund. You can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at QB LawPod. For more information, you can also visit the website lawpod.org. And please have a look in the show notes for more information about the topics covered today. You can find us on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. This was LawPod.